sometimes I feel. I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata, buona serata, buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> you don't have to get that You don't have to get that Attaccare! Welcome to the Euro Show here on a Monday night on FNR Football Nation Radio. Nick Tabano and Josh Parrish in the studio. Of course, another big weekend of football happening all around Europe. It just never seems to disappoint, Josh. There's always something happening, whether it's in Italy or Spain or Germany, France, Belgium, wherever it might be. There's always something exciting happening. But it's been an interesting week. We saw the Champions League uh, round of 16 sorted out, the round of 32 of the Europa League, we saw a dog mm-hmm. um, dropping something out of the other end on the middle of, in the middle of a Conference League game. <laughs> this um, sums up the Conference League, yeah, to be honest. It was a, it was a metaphor, really. Mm. Um, and a lot of action happening this weekend. But first of all, Josh, how are you feeling, mate? I'm feeling good. Uh, I'm not feeling as full of myself as Latan Ibrahimovic is at 40. Yes. Uh, dropping his autobiography, another one. In mm. fact, this one titled Adrenaline. Yeah, Which I guess is what he's running on at this point. He is. Well, he running always on says, fumes. Well, he always says that every game, getting up for every game for him is a struggle at the moment. He's always sore, and mm, it's just ad- like literally adrenaline is what gets him through games at the moment. So, I guess it's apt. Imagine the sound his knees make when he sits down. It would sound like an old steam train. Just, you know, <laughs> it's like the creaky hinge. Yeah, or like a door hinge that really needs that spray. What's, yeah, you a bit know, of that, WD-40 yeah. required. Um, but, uh, I mean, he's still scoring goals, and he doesn't like paying for fruit juice. That's one thing we do. We have no. found out. If you want Zlatan's respect, do not ask him to pay for his sugary beverages. Yes. The man needs his fructose. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he's, uh, I think he paid, they said that when he was at Manchester United, he said he had to pay one pound from his multi-million dollar salary, which is not just what Manchester United were paying him, every other endorsement and everything else in between, uh, he couldn't pay a pound for fruit juice. Well, he definitely didn't want to. Uh, sh- sh- shall I read? Shall I read from this, this extract from his autobiography? Uh, one thing surprised me. Everyone thinks of United as a top club, one of the richest and most powerful in the world. And seen from the outside, it looked that way to me, he writes. But once I was there, I found a small, closed mentality. One day I was in the hotel with the team before a game. I got thirsty, so I opened the minibar and had a fruit juice. Well, some time went by. My payslip arrives. Normally I don't look at it. I only do so at the end of the year to see what's come in and what's gone out. What a life. Uh, but that time, I don't know why. I was curious and realized they'd taken a pound off my monthly wage. I called the team manager, being the yeah. guy who organizes this stuff, not, you know. Mm. Um, who was His manager was at, uh, it would have been Van Hal. Means team manager. Yeah, he's, he's uh, sorry, the team manager. I thought you were going to say, well, his agent's been Ariola, but team manager, yeah. Excuse me, why have they taken a pound off my salary? The team manager had a look and told me it was the fruit juice from the minibar. Are you kidding? Seriously? No, I'm not. Here, if you order something, you have to pay for it. Sure, but I didn't go to the hotel on my own accord. I wasn't on holiday. It was my workplace. I was there for Manchester. If I have to play and I'm thirsty, I have to drink. I can't go on the pitch dehydrated. I don't think fruit juice actually hydrates you, but anything, anyway. Wouldn't it do the opposite? Isn't it dehydrates? It's a lot of sugar. Like when I think of having fruit juice, I want more fruit juice or more water because that's the point of it. I mean, perhaps valuable antioxidants for performance. Potentially. Can you believe it? A quid? Something like, I can't imagine Zlatan actually using the word, word quid. quid. I, I, this sounds ghost written to me. Yeah. Something like that would never happen in Italy. 
These are the details that make a difference and earn the respect of the players. And this is another gem. Every day I was asked to show my papers just to get into the training ground. I'd lower my window and say to the person at the gate, listen, my friend, I've been coming here every day for a month. I'm the best player in the world. If you still don't recognize me, you're in the wrong job. Do you know who I am? That, that sounds familiar. I mean, the, the thing is, like, I mean, that's fair enough. Like, if you're the steward at, you know, going into, whether it's an old Trafford or Manchester United training ground, you surely just see Zlatan. You'd be like, all right, in you go, Wave mate. on like, through. Surely he's pretty recognisable. I mean, he's one of the most recognisable faces on the planet. Like, I, I guess it's possible that Alexander Priovich would rock up an expensive <laughs> car and, and do a convincing Zlatan through the window. But Yeah. But it's still, they, they yeah. I mean, the, the lookalikes are few and far between is yeah. what I'm saying. That's, well, a, that's a very small chance. Anyways, uh, Zlatan, give that man free fruit juice. I'm sure Stefano Pioli and Koe Milan have learnt that if he wants juice, you fill it up for him and you don't charge him a quid. Um, but look, I'm not sure you should be drinking too much fruit juice as a professional football. I guess this it's low, G, it's sorry, high GI and it's, uh, you know, you do a lot of activity. But if Milan have learned anything over the years it's the dentistry is weirdly important to the performance of old players mm. wasn't that a famous thing at the milan lab yeah you know in the, the milan mid-2000s is, the milan labs had some weird fix your teeth weird. fix your performance yeah there's been some weird habits at the milan lab and there's been a recurring theme that soft tissue injuries uh, are a problem that haven't been re- resolved mm. there consistent soft tissue injuries they're more focused still on the, the dental health of the players, but not necessarily the ones that make them, the, the parts of the body that make them run and perform on a weekly basis. Anyways, good to know that they're taking care of their teeth, but for Milan, they weren't able to take care of business on the weekend. It's a nice apt little uh, segue because Latan Ibrahimovic actually scored a late equaliser against um, a team by the name of Udinese that uh, they disguise themselves as a football team when in reality they are the absolute just... You, you hate playing against them Going to going to the Friuli doesn't matter where they are on the table. It is the one fixture you go like. I just like I, I didn't even wake up for the game. Put it like that. I woke up for the second half, and I thought like this game is going to be exactly how I envisaged it. I woke up, I saw we're down one nil. I knew it, and I saw the possession stats and saw twenty seven percent possession with Inez, seventy three percent Milano, and like. <laughs> It's just deja vu all over again, even after they sacked Luca Gotti over the weekend. But Zlatan, who had quite a quiet game, came up trumps when it mattered, scoring a bicycle kick in the most Zlatan Ibrahimovic way possible to steal a point. But this game was hot, especially at the end. I don't know if you guys have seen this at home, but make sure you do. In the final minutes, uh, former Watford striker, well, there's a lot of former Watford players that play for Udinese, to be honest. Uh, Isaac's success had just been subbed on. He got a little bit hot under the collar. And he, there was a moment, I think Mike Mignon was trying to take the ball out and he got a bit frustrated, tried to, you know, get in his way. A bit of a scuffle ensued and then he just shoved Alessandro Florenzi off the ball and Florenzi looked like he got shot the way he fell. Like, I don't know if you've seen it, Josh, but he literally jumped like, you know, at least a few feet off the ground. Oh, but and, there's a lot of snipers in the stands. Oh, yeah. Matches, and so. um, success was sent off. Um, he stormed down the tunnel, and it was probably the most exciting part of the game because not much else really happened in this one. Um, Udinese taking, a, well, for Milan, it's two points dropped. It's a big point for Udinese. Um, but one player as well to keep an eye on if you're one of those players looking out for sort of players coming through the ranks 
And one player I really do like, Rineza, is Beto, their new striker. Um, he's come in. He's scored quite a few goals this season now. He scored the goal, the opening goal in the 17th minute. He has been absolutely flying. He's come in on loan from, uh, from Brazil. He's a young Portuguese striker, and he's absolutely flying. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he progresses. He's a player that... Um, I think will definitely be in the shop window at the end of the year. A lot of teams will be looking to bring him in permanently. And there's a team by the name of Milan, as we did mention, that probably do need a younger striker to come in next season. Um, don't know if he's the answer, but definitely someone, if it's not Milan, there will be a lot of clubs in the higher ranks of Serie A and the top five leagues that will be looking at his services. I don't know. He didn't entirely convince me. I, I just don't, didn't like the celebration. I mean, the celebration was... was yeah, you can't was, score a goal that scrappy and then pull out the LeBron. LeBron James. Yeah, but the thing walk. is, though, the thing is, though, he had a really good game. Like, okay. every time the ball went near him, my heart dropped thinking because... He's a physical handful, that oh, guy. Oh, yeah. He's quick. He's strong. Um, you know, he's one of the few players that probably can match for Kaio Tamori's uh, pace and strength in defense. And there was a moment where he like outstrength Tamori and outpaced him. And I thought, oh my goodness, like we are in for a handful. Um, but he was, he was great. So that's definitely something for Udinese to keep an eye on. Not too sure who their new manager is going to be just yet, but it was a very, very good start for their caretaker coming in by the name of, uh, it's Joffy, the, uh, the, new, the new man in charge. And he plays a very, very similar style to Luca Gotti. He was actually the former manager of Crawley Town, Gabriela Joffy, uh, in 2018-2019 before... Wow. Uh, heading back to Udinese as an assistant under Luca Gotti. And there's the caretaker for the time being. And he also spent time at Birmingham as an assistant. So he's been around the traps. Yeah, there you go. You don't see too many Italian managers making waves in lower league, lower league English football. English football. That's, mainly, a, that's pretty rogue. Yeah, and when you actually search his name on on Google, the third link that comes up is actually his LinkedIn. So if you want to <laughs> suss Gabriela Choffi's resume, if you're if he doesn't get picked up permanently as the Udinese manager, if you're looking for a new mm. coach out there, get on his LinkedIn, send him a message. <laughs> we'll, we'll endorse him after the show. Um, he is his own PR, apparently. Uh, it's great. But anyways, in Serie A this weekend, it really was, again, another crazy weekend, as it always is. Into another win this morning, 4-0 convincing win over Cagliari. It could have been easily like eight or nine nil if it wasn't for Cranio between the sticks. 24 shots on goal to five, 15 of them on target, 76% possession to 24%. The difference is in Serie A, Josh, not like the A-League, that if you do have the ball on these occasions, it does actually equate to victories. Just not against Sudanese. No, that's really the, that's the one sort <laughs> of outlier. exception that proves the rule. Yeah, and Atalanta as well came up with another win. 2-1 win over Hellas Verona, who have been very pecky throughout this season. Again, Giovanni Simeone scoring for Hellas Verona, but Miranchuk and Kutminers got the goals there for Atalanta. Napoli, though, three games now without a win in the league, dropping points at home to Empoli, who have been very impressive this season as one of the three, well, the best of the three promoted sides, Salernitana and Venezia. Having a bit of a tough season so far, Venezia the only one outside of the bottom three, uh, Salernitana rooted to the bottom, but Empoli knocking on the door of mm. Europe. Who would have thought? Only two points behind Juventus, but above both Roma and Lazio after 17 games. And with that man, Patrick Cutrone, I'm very he didn't happy know for him. anything about that goal. The ball was, if you haven't seen it, corner came in, in swinger. The ball was headed into the back of Cutrone's head, rebounded, and then it was actually David Ospina mm. uh, who was in goals for Napoli. Alex Mere left on the bench. Uh, he let that one squirm through his grasp. He's yeah. way off balance and weirdly out of position. Didn't expect it. And no. uh 
Yeah, Napoli pay the price. They had 30 shots in this game, but they couldn't score a goal. And I, injury... I think they were a bit, bit unlucky, to be yeah, honest. They the, peppered the goal. The injury problem still uh, very much apparent for Napoli. They went back to the back four, so a lot of players out in that back line and up top as well. They had likes of Unas starting at 10. They had Elmas, who usually is coming off the bench, along with Deme starting. Obviously, the back line is still completely ravaged. Insigne came off the bench. We know the rumours about his... Uh, potential exit. Zambo Anguissa and Manolas, well, Zambo Anguissa came off the bench and Manolas, probably working his way back to full fitness, was on the bench but didn't play. But Napoli heading into a crunch game against Milan at the Sunset or next week. They lose that game and suddenly going from Scudetto favourites, they're probably going to be hanging on to maybe a spot in the top four heading into Christmas because Fiorentina are coming right at them. They're only six points behind them. They've won three in a row. Their main man, Dusan Vlahovic, can't mm. stop scoring right now. They actually could be signing Aiden Hustic by the looks of it. Let's actually, let's actually get into that very quickly, Josh. He's um, not playing at all for Frank. No. He, he was uh, lauded early on in the season. A few Twitter threads went around saying, Aiden Hustic, look, he's getting minutes in the Bundesliga. How good's this? And then as soon as Jakic came in, replaced him in the Frankfurt 11, he's often not even making the bench now. So yep. uh, he's dropped off the radar at Eintracht. If there is um, another team in the Bundesliga who wants him, I think it would make sense to move laterally. Would you rate him in Serie A? I think I mean, Fiorentina be... might be a bit too big of a jump, I would have thought. At Fiorentina, would be an interesting one. I mean, their midfield is already stacked. They've got a very, like, Lucas Torreira, Giacomo Bonaventura, yeah, exactly. Alfred Duncan. Uh, they've got Amrabat, Saponara, Benassi. They've got a lot of good midfielders. But in saying that, a few of those guys are getting a bit older in terms of Giacomo Bonaventura. Duncan is not necessarily he's, – he's like another six – He's not. He's a bit of a nondescript footballer. Real sort of, you know, uh, he's a bit of a six, but slash big body midfield doesn't really offer a hell of a lot. But if they want that extra bit of attacking sort of surge coming out of midfield, which Vincenzo Italiano teams like to play on the front foot, they like to get numbers forward. That's why you see a lot of uh, minutes for Ricardo Saponara. I don't think it would be a bad move, but if. If Raul Betis is the team that's also interested in him, I think Raul Betis would actually be maybe a better fit for him. I, I, I'd love to see him in Serie A. I don't know if Fiorentina, if he wants to say, come right into the starting 11 and play from the get-go, it might be a bit difficult. I think if he, say, went to a, a Torino or a Sassuolo, um, maybe mean, a Hellas Verona, I think he'd be straight in the starting both, 11. Both Betis and Fiorentina seem like places he wouldn't play to me. You don't, don't think he'd play at Real Betis? I don't think so. They're too good, to be honest. Um, with a guy who hasn't really established much of a reputation for himself in European mm. football, obviously we love him. Uh, he's one of the best Australian footballers out there at the moment, and uh, I think he's got huge potential. Uh, but I just, I just think he's going to sit on the bench in both those places. Mm. Um, you know, maybe the pay will be a bit high, but I, I would encourage him to look further down the league table and, and go to a place where he's more nailed on to, to start matches because, I mean, Betis have one of the best midfields in Spain. Yeah. Look, the other team, like as I mentioned, I think would be good for him be Torino because Torino have a bit of a midfield conundrum at the end of this season. So mm. they obviously want to keep Tommaso Pobega, who has been one of the best midfielders in Serie A this season, but he's obviously owned by Milan. There is, you know, sort of talk that he will stay at Milan next season because Kessie obviously being on the way out, it does open up a position in midfield for them. I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they in that situation, I, I don't know if they 100% would, but I think they are a really good fit for him because Pobega and Hrustic are very, very similar profiles. Um, you know, same sort of, you know, like to get forward, can play as a 10, can play further back, really creative players, score goals. I think it'd be a good fit for them. 
I want to talk a little bit about Dushan Vlahovic. Yes. Because I think this guy is going to be an expensive flop for a high-profile club very, you think very so? soon. I, I think he's ticking all the boxes of a player who is way outperforming their XG by an unsustainable amount. He scored and 15 goals. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. But, and there's a lot of penalties in there as yeah. well. I think if he should be making a 40 or 50 million euro move to a Europa League slash Champions League periphery kind of club. If he's mm. if he's making a 100 million or 120 million move to like Man City, yeah. I think that I think this is a step too far from this guy. Let's look let, let's like take a look through the numbers. I mean, his non-penalty xG is only the 57th percentile among mm-hmm. forwards in Serie A. Non-penalty XG and plus um, expected assists, only the 52nd percentile. So, you know, he's he's pretty middle of the road in, like, mm. the actual uh, positions he's getting into, the chances he's creating. Uh, I, I mean, the goal tally looks very, very impressive. He's good in the air, and he's obviously a good finisher. But is he this good? Is he going to continue to be this good? Because even the best strikers in the world only – outperform their expected goals by about 20% mm. or so, maybe maybe 10%. Like that's- I think Vlaovic as well, one thing I have noticed watching a bit of him this season is that he does like to feed off the scraps as well. There's been mm. a few goals. Remember, the goal he did score against Milan was based off a mistake in the back. A couple of the times when a bit of a mix-up, he's in the right place at the right time, pounce, you're in on goal. And those strikers have value, finish. but do they of have course. 120 million euro value? The thing is, though, one thing, Dusan Vlaovic is only 21. So I think that's one thing we've got to remember too. Is that this, this, this kid, this, he's still a kid. He will get better. Um, I think that it'd be interesting to see where he ends up because Fiorentina obviously have, you know, they're resigned to the fact that he's gone. He's not going to be there next season. Um, you'll see at the rest of the year, Rocco Comiso has put Fiorentina in a really bad spot because he's basically said he's gone. They've set the precedent that anyone can just come across and buy him because Fiorentina have promised to sell him. So at the end of the day, he's got the bargaining power. You know, Fiorentina probably could have, you know, if Fiorentina got 110 million for Vlaovic, they would be laughing. They could go and basically buy a brand new squad, even though they don't have to. They'll go buy four or five top quality players to fill out their squad. I mean, it's interesting because at Man City, I don't think he'd be the player. I, I, I just can't see Vlaovic playing for Man City. I don't think he fits the Guardiola profile. I think Harry Kane is like literally nailed on as that guy. Tottenham, you did mention Europa League. I mean, if Harry Kane does go, I think Vlaovic under Antonio Conte, I think Conte knows, if there's one thing that Conte knows how to do is get the best out of his strikers. You think that's true. Historically, you know, look with Lukaku, Diego Costa, even back at Juventus for guys like Mitko Vucinic, Italy with Graziano Pele, for God's sake. He gets the best out of his strikers. I think that if Harry Kane does leave, he'd be a good fit at Tottenham. Um, the other team that's surprisingly, well, not really surprisingly, but I don't know if he'd want to go play there next season, is Newcastle. Because obviously Newcastle have got the big kitty. They can afford him, but he, they could be playing in the championship next season. And if Dusan Vlaovic is smart, as much as they may be able to offer more money than anyone else in world football... You're not going to go play in the championship. And you're not going to get the kind of service that you need at Newcastle. Yeah. For me... They, they, they need to overhaul their midfield at Newcastle. They've yeah. actually got okay forwards. But the midfield sucks. Yeah, it yeah. is ass. It yeah. is absolute ass cheeks. And the defense needs reinforcement yeah. as well. So I, I don't think he would make a splash, like, but that that isn't valuable to Newcastle. The, the other moment. team that's substance. interested is uh, Manchester United. I don't think he should go to Manchester United because we all know what's going to happen. If he goes to Manchester United, he will sit on the bench. 
I mean, with, with Ronaldo still there, he's going to find that. If Vlahovic signs for Manchester United for an exorbitant fee, I will tear my hair out. Yeah, even and as a Manchester could United you, supporter. Could yeah. you imagine a less compatible signing mm. based on what they have and what they need? But is less that that is the Manchester United recent history yeah, I of know. just buying players because their names absolutely plausible. Yeah, uh, but does he fit the profile of a Ralph Ranić forward? Um, don't think he does. No, because pressures nineteenth percentile he's... for pressures, tackles fifth percentile. He doesn't jump off the page in terms of his defensive nope. statistics as a striker. He plays off the shoulder. He's he's literally he's not a hard worker. So do we I... need another Cristiano Ronaldo in the team? No, uh, we're already having enough problems I... with the one we've got. <laughs> I would see. I would love to see Vlaovic stay in Serie A. I know a team that any team in Serie A, considering that they would pump up the, the price tag for him anyway because they wouldn't want to sell him mm. to any of their rivals, considering now Fiorentina are right back in the mix for Europe. Um, but to be honest, I think he would have been – he'd be a great fit. And I say this like, you know, 110% true with this. I think he'd be a great fit at Inter. Um, I think if when Ed and Jekko now getting towards the end, Ed and Jekko is evergreen and that guy does things at his age, which I still can't believe he's able to do. I think he'd be a great fit as like a Jekyll replacement. I know that Jekyll will probably still be their man next year, but I would have loved to have seen him at Inter or another team. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Juventus. Because Juve at the moment, they're in a bit of an interesting predicament, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Paulo Dybala, I think him and Dybala would be an interesting front too. But then again, though, you've got to ask the question is, are they going to put the, the eggs in the basket of Moise Kane? Because he's not playing much. Is he the one that maybe makes makes way? Other than that, I don't think he'd be a good fit at Milan because we've seen with strikers of Vlaovic's profile. Uh, have we written off Morata already? Is he just a bottle job? I no, like I, him. I don't, I don't mind Morata, but I think he gets a bit of a bad rap and we know what Morata's like. He, he could get up one day and decide that he wants to go somewhere else. He, so, could, he could get up one day and decide he's had enough of football. And yeah. Because he, he seems like some someone on whom the criticism weighs heavily. Absolutely. And I feel sorry for him in that sense. But... In He's terms a, little, of, a lost little lamb. He's so talented. Yeah, in though. terms of the other teams, though, Milan, I mean, as mentioned, I think Milan need to move away from these sort of big-bodied strikers who are, you know, not pressing forwards like Zlatan and Giroud. I think, like, they've, it's been proven that with when they play with Rebic or if they sign Belotti next season that that's what they have to do with the way Milan want to play. I think that allows for them to get the oh, most Belotti's out of a place. big body striker. But Belotti runs. Yeah. Zlatan he doesn't looks- run. Giroud doesn't run. So that's a Bel- problem. Belotti's a lot more mobile. Yes. And a lot, he's got a much higher work rate yeah. than either of those. And guys. Vlaovic, not so much. So look, I think I would, I reckon we'll see Vlaovic in the Premier League next season. I think that's probably the most, I think you're going to put your bets on now. Premier League would be compatible he, for him. I think him. it's going to be Tottenham. I think it will be Tottenham. I I saw a report that he rejected Arsenal. I would wouldn't mind him at Arsenal if you move on to Bamiang and you have him as the main man up top. I don't think it would be the worst thing. I think he it's an overpay for Arsenal at this point. I think it's an overpay. But we've seen their problems with Aubameyang at the moment up top. Yeah, they they do need a forward. I mean, Aubameyang and Lacazette it's just not happening anymore. Well, Lacazette's out of contract, so yeah. he's gone. I don't think they're going to give Lacazette a new deal. I think he'll be off on a free. They've got issues with a lot of their other forwards are like sort of inverted forwards slash wingers, guys like Martinelli and Nicola Pepe. I mean, Nketia, I think, has a lot of potential, but he hasn't been given, you know, a full Does Arsenal you know, have run. too much of the ball for, for Vlahovic yeah. to be successful? 
Yeah, we've been told by Procure, our producer, obviously the resident Arsenal fan here, Balogun as well, but obviously he's still very young and I think he does need some time out on loan to actually develop. I don't think Nketiah is going to be a thing either. I mean, I th- I, look, I still have faith in Nketiah, but I don't think he's going to be the guy at Arsenal. He could be, be a guy, but not I think the he's, guy. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Nketiah one day sold to... So he's rejected a new contract, apparently. Procure just Source, sources say. Yeah, you're hearing I, look, in your I, ear. I, honestly, like, Nketiah and, and screams to me he'll be playing for Leeds probably next season or some other mm. mid table Premier League side. But, anyways, Josh, look, let's leave the Serie A chat for just a second. Otherwise, we're going to give the Juve fans a bit more uh, to, to ponder over because the fact that they drew Venezia on the weekend. We don't want to upset the Juve fans too much. I mean, we give it to them enough as it is. But when we come back, we'll dive into La Liga. I mean, it's been a, a bit of an interesting weekend, not just on the field. But off it, we've got a bit going on in terms of ownership yeah. of the league. Well, it's it's sort of ownership. There's some there's some private equity deals going on, which have angered the big two and Athletic Bilbao weirdly. Uh, but this has major implications for the league and its uh, its future profitability uh, and also its its current profitability. So well, let's get into that after the break. Sometimes I feel I don't know. I don't know. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> you don't have to get a bad You don't have to get a bad Attaccare! Attaccare! Welcome back to the Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Nick Devlano, Josh Parrish here in the studio on a Monday night. I still can't get over how good this intro is. Like, just the music, the vibes. It's the. It reminds me of the old times of Wednesday nights with Dave Davidovich here on Football Q and A. Good times. I, f- I feel like doing a bit of a dancing duva every time the music those, comes on. For those that obviously don't know, before we used to do live streams in, here in, in, the, in the before times. Yeah, we only used to obviously just do. The audio, like it's, like the proper radio. And you can still listen on the app if you want, yeah. if you don't want to see our beautiful yes. faces. And uh, when that theme song, just the backing track, not that entire intro, used to play for Dave's um, so, uh, show, Football Q&A, with the dulcet tones of Roddy Rodriguez? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, Roddy Rodriguez. Uh, saying, you know, Football Q&A with the Herald Sun's Dave Davutovich. He used to always, you know, start dancing like you've seen. Like if you've if you've seen the videos of him, you remember from the Euros of him with the Scottish fans. You think and that the, was the genesis of dancing Duva? I think it was because the Mac- Remember him with the Macedonian fans, mm. you know, doing the before it was the, on camera. It was in the FNR studio and in just his him, chair, you know, like with the football Q and A yeah. music pumping. And um, when I remember seeing it. Like looking at when Optus would post the social clips during the Euros, I'm like, I've seen this before. <laughs> I'm lucky I've seen this in the flesh. And then we had the joy of seeing Dave get swallowed up by thousands of Italians on a, almost a th- like two or three times Was a week. Was it a Piadina? It, Who knows? It's a, it's a, it's a Piadina. <laughs> John Aloisi always tell you, it was a toasty. Um, so just if you guys are watching on Twitch, get your comments in, get your questions in. Tanasi77, oh yes, g'day Athos, uh, asking, where does Milan sit in the title race now that it won't have European football to worry about? I think it's a great thing that Milan actually finished fourth. We spoke about it last mm. week, that if they don't make the round of 16, they cannot afford to go to the Europa League. And yes, they have missed out on the death zone. And it is great. So they can now focus solely on winning the Scudetto while this man has changed his tune. I remember all the Europa League enthusiasm, you and Lockie sending the intro. Oh, the theme song music, is fantastic. The theme song to I each other. The, the competition to be in. We love the Europa League. Yeah, last now season. That you've, 
finally out of it, you know, you don't got to go back. Discarded it. Do you it's... know what it was, Josh? It was Stockholm syndrome, but I've got <laughs> overcome that. It, look, the theme song is unbelievable is. for the Europa League. Like it is, it is arguably better I, than the Champions League. I don't think it occupies the same um, cultural status as the Champions League. No, but it's League a better theme. theme song. In terms of an actual song, it is banging. Yeah, it's, it's the thing right. that annoyed me about last season that like that upset me was whenever I'd hear it, it'd have an empty stadium. So you, it just <laughs> didn't have the same sort of vibe. It's, it's bad um, acoustics when the yeah. stadium's empty. It's really echoey. Yeah, it just didn't sound right. It was like when you see the stadium announcers all the time, like still doing it even when no <laughs> one was there. Um, but on that note, uh, Athos, I think it's very good for Milan because all the teams around them are still in Europe. Inter in the round of 16 for the Champions League for the first time in a while, which... For Inter last season, remember, they finished fourth in their group in the Champions League and they went on to, you know, romp everyone to win the Scudetto. Uh, Atalanta in the Europa League, mm-hmm. Napoli in the Europa League, Juventus, I mean, they're basically out of the hump, but they're still in the Champions League. I think Roma are in the next round of the Conference League and I think Lazio as well qualified for the next round of the Europa M- League. Much to Jose Mourinho's chagrin. I think. Yeah, I think Mourinho is pulling his hair out. But hey, Jose, if you want to play Christian Volpato in these games, that would be really, really nice. Um, but yeah, so Milan, I think it works well for them. But the caveat that makes this season very different is a little tournament called the African Cup of Nations, which for not just Milan, but for Napoli, Mm. is going to wreak havoc. And what we saw on the weekend, a bit of a teaser of how things could look with Milan's midfield without... I mean, it was a bit of a teaser, but seeing... I know I was very excited for his signing and how he played in his first loan deal, but with Tiamé Bakayoko being at fault for the goal and now twice in his last two starts dropping absolute stinkers, um, I'm a little bit concerned about how things will be without Benacer and or Kessie. Um... But, yeah, on that note, just quickly before we move on, Josh, we said we'd talk about La Liga, but I want to bring up something quickly about Christian Volpato because today Graham Arnold actually quelled all the, you know, all the... The buzz, you know, the hype, the bolter. Yes, FTBL today said that he would be selected and they would use him as a victory cigar, essentially, to cap him, which is factually incorrect, just to put that, as we said last week. He has to play three, or I think actually now four, I, sort of, I thought I read as well, that... Four games, if it's not a World Cup, an actual FIFA World Cup because final. Because he's below a certain age. Yes, so they've the changed age of this recently. And they keep changing it, and it is very confusing. So yeah. you don't blame anyone for getting it wrong, to be So, um, obviously, in that sense, he'd have to play four games. So we asked Graham Arnold today when they announced, obviously, that they had the big announcement for the Socceroos being back in Melbourne, uh, playing Vietnam at the end of January, big World Cup qualifier. And we asked Arnie, we said, obviously, Christian Volpato is the talk of the town right now. Have you had conversations with him? Is he in the mix? What's the go? And he basically said, look, we've had conversations, like the FA have been in conversations with Christian, but at the end of the day, it's completely up to him. If he wants to go, he wants to play for Australia, great. If he doesn't, we can't control it. But he said, I'm not going to pick him, you know, and play him for a few minutes just to get get it done. He's like, he has to earn it, but also it's not fair to Christian Volpata that his debut Think about it. Maybe your international is tokenism, debut. Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, tokenism. It's like it's a, it's a throwaway thing just to get you on the pitch and get it over and done with. It's like a diplomatic, you know, relations move in terms of thing that, you know, basically going, Italy, stuff you. We're going to cap him and play him for one minute against Vietnam. I don't think that's fair. And he said it as well. It's not fair to him because you want to have a memorable debut. I mean, talk about football admin. That's the ultimate football admin. Yeah. Just, uh, that is proper football bo- admin. A box ticking exercise for a debut I don't yeah. approve of. So, yeah, and also Christian Volpato was not 
Well, actually, he might be. He was in the Conference League squad, but he may play tomorrow when Roma play Spezia. Josh, let's move on to La Liga. Big weekend uh, with some massive results. Real Madrid 2-0 win over Atleti. Benzema and Asensio on the score sheet, but the game that caught everyone's attention, Barcelona on the road to Osasuna. And yes, they drop points again. Um, it was Ezekiel Avia with the late equaliser, which drew some amazing celebrations. But not so much for Barcelona, who continued. It hasn't really all gone to plan so far for Xavi. But uh, two points dropped for the Catalan Giants. I don't think it's realistic to expect Barcelona to bounce back. Xavi's not Sam Allardyce. He's not a firefighter. <laughs> He's not coming in there to get results. You know, they're not battling relegation. They're entering a new phase yeah. of the club where they basically can't sign anyone. They have to go ultimate Catalan. They have to go... With what they've got. Uh, basically, they, they, they went with no wingers. 3-3-3-1, three, 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 apparently. Yeah, that's how it comes up on the Fop Mob and uh, other uh, sort I of think lineup it, I think apps. it's more of a 3-4-3. Three, three. It's think... more of a 3-4-3 three, three diamond. Yeah. Uh, still not playing Frankie Jong in the position that he should be because Sergio Busquets continues to occupy that role and, and gather dust in that number six position. What would you describe Sergio Busquets as right now? If like as, as like an object, would you describe him as just like an old book that's sitting on the bookshelf but you don't want to get rid of it out of sentimental value or like an old vase? Yeah, he he's a bit of a dead weight, I think. Yeah. Um, he's, you look, don't want to funny. get rid of it. it. It's funny looking at like that game against Bayern in the Champions League. And thinking back to when they were annihilated 5-0 over two legs. And so many of those players are still there. Mm. You know, Jordi Alba, Sergio Busquets, Gerard Piquet, even Danny Alves, they've re-signed. You know, he didn't play. But um, I I think they need to have a bit of a a reset and a clean out and go with the kids. And, you know, Xavi, to to keep everybody happy in the absence of results, Xavi's just got to go hard on the Cruyff propaganda and the absolute like Barcelona Kool-Aid just just go just go full Kool-Aid I guess it's Kool-Aid Kool-Aid but don't make him pay for it because you know what happens when you make players (laughs) pay for fruity drinks (laughs) Uh, Ibra's not not there anymore I think uh, I don't think Luke de Jong is going to be kicking up the fuss but this game was interesting because Barcelona almost were lucky to get the draw that they did because the goal that they scored uh, well, one of the goals that they scored uh, that put them up 2-1 came immediately after the one of the defenders cleared the ball into Sergio Busquets' hand. Mm. It was one of those where he tries to draw his hand away, but in doing so makes it the actually, handball all yeah. the more obvious because the ball hits his hand and then it flies up above yeah. his shoulder and um, the Osasuna players are going crazy. The ball goes straight up the other end on the counterattack and a bit similar to that famous Watford goal from Troy Deeney oh, in that yeah, playoff the, match. Yeah. It was a similar sort of back post volley, the end-to-end action. It reminded me a lot of that. VR! And, <laughs> of course, all the Osasuna players surrounding the referee, yep. urging him to go to VAR and overturn it. But he would have had to give a penalty and erase the goal. Mm. So that's a two-goal swing. And you don't do that to Barcelona no. in La Liga. So it didn't happen. Osasuna got their equaliser right at the end of the match in the 86th minute. And the celebrations were great. Osasuna have a fantastic stadium, by the way. They've got yeah. standing room only behind the goals. It's safe standing with the rails. Oh, nice. And it went absolutely nuts in there. It was packed out. The uh, player who scored, Avia, standing on top of the advertising hoardings and sort of Love arms that. out, saluting the baying crowd and the the. Uh, 
talking of ground announcers earlier, yeah. they sound a lot better in full stadiums, but this yeah. guy was going full Latin American commentator yeah. on it, just on, just the, on the stadium PA, it. just going, goal, 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 over and over again. It was it's just great scenes, absolute limbs, and uh, Barcelona dropped points yet again, whereas uh, their big rivals, Real Madrid, continue to extend their lead at the top of the table. I've got, got a quick thing before we completely move away from Barcelona. I want to ask you now. We are keen observers of El Chiringuito. Um, and I've got to ask for your thoughts on this. So, I don't know if you saw this from last week. But they used their super zoom on the camera and zoomed right on Rike Pig as he was leaving the ground after Barcelona got eliminated from the Champions League. And on his iPad, he was watching Money Heist. <laughs> and it was like this big crime that after the game, as he's getting onto the bus, he's watching Money Heist. I mean, what should he have been watching? Like every, like they're saying he should be watching the replay of the game. I don't think it's even available yet. Uh, it's well, like, come on, let he's a young kid still. Like, let him have his entertainment. He didn't. I don't even think he even played. The guy's been rotting on the bench all season. I mean, just let him blow off some steam. Jeez, I know. I mean, no wonder players are so closed off to the media. No wonder the the only media personality that players seem to want to talk to in interviews in Spain is that random Twitch, Twitch streamer. Yeah. Because he makes them feel comfortable. When you've got a sensationalist media in Spain, I'm, I'm taking this way too seriously for mm. El Chiringuito, but uh, when you've got a media in Spain who's like hyper-analyzing every little detail, no wonder everybody covers their mouths well, when they talk to each yeah. other. It's just, it's just well, when you've fun. got, you know, it's toxic. Jose Pedro, you know, sitting there in a chair with an hourglass at the moment, rubbing his hands together, waiting, tick-tuck. The Chavi effect And you've got, over. you know, Soria Cristobal yelling and coming in with a fan and everything and just the absolute madness of El Chiringuito. I've got to say, though, like, El Chiringuito is great entertainment. It's like Jerry Springer do, for football. But how do people, like, do, do people in Spain, just out of curiosity, do they take it seriously or are they, like, aware that this is just some sort of entertainment that they can watch late at night where they can switch off their brains for an hour and just go, this is just a laugh? Because they take this really seriously. I mean... There's a significant commitment to the bit on behalf of the presenters. And the production as well. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, like, they really... It's really hammy, but I... I mean, surely the viewers find this humorous. Yeah. Like, I like the, some of the stuff they do with the camera work, like there was one... <laughs> the zooms. Uh, ...where one of the Barcelona supporting presenters, I don't know all their names, um, was decrying the state of Barcelona. And then they did a split screen kind of fade that looked like a dream <laughs> sequence with Thomas Rancero's gr- just grin on the other side. And I was just... I've got to ask, would you like to see an El Chiringuito of Australian football? Ooh. Or is that already the national curriculum? <laughs> <laughs> now, there's too much serious analysis on that. Maybe that's what we can do here at FNR. We can do something completely over the top. You know, I, I reckon Christian Volpato would be the biggest talking point in episode one. Could you imagine us like just some having like a camera outside of say Amy Park, just like we're zooming in on what say Andrew Nabu is watching on his phone <laughs> as he's leaving, or like what you know, I don't know, like what Roderick, what Portuguese reality show Roderick Miranda's watching, or what Francesco Marajota gets up to, like. I just think it would be complete madness. Look, I don't think it should happen because I think it would just be complete chaos. I think mm. Santo Sam and Ed would be great, but that's a story for another day. But, um, yeah, look, it's a good laugh. I just hope people in Spain don't take it too seriously. That's one thing for certain. I, I don't think anyone cares enough about the A-League 
like to it's not life and death for people so i don't think a show like that would work because it just wouldn't be believable yeah. you wouldn't be able to well, suspend your disbelief the, the afl try to do it through a show called bounce and i'm it's nowhere near el chiringuito i, I think there's too much like cultural tame. cringe as well yeah. to be able to carry it off i mean it, it would be funny though it, it would be hilarious maybe yeah as you said maybe if and i need to trial it because there's, there's too many people who aren't tribal about australian football in that that way and just want it there's too much re it's funny that i'm saying this but there's too much like reasoned debate on like what's good for the future of the game and there's not enough just absolute like nuffery. tribal mud sli- slinging yeah. enoughery in the discourse for that kind of thing to work and that honestly is a good thing yeah uh quickly before we move on from la liga just in terms of the results real betis we spoke about him before four nil win over real sociedad do you remember the player called Juan me one me. Yes, I do. The winger played for Southampton. He is on fire this season. I was having a look at his stats before. He is up to now, I believe, ten go- well, 12 goals in all competitions this season playing out wide. And I've got to say, this Real Betis team are so, so good. That front line, Nabil Fakir, William Jose, Sergio Canales, Andres Guadardo in midfield. They've got Hector Bellerin, who is part-time footballer, full-time model at fullback and Alberto Moreno. They've really got, they've really got the, they're really rolling out the big guns. A lot of um, the old Premier League names, but they are fun. I've got to give it to them. They are a really, really good team and, and they currently sit third. And this is the team that Aiden Horstich wants to start in. I don't think, don't think you're going to change <clears> winning, winning formula. He's the profile of player that Real Betis would look at though. Like he's got like the perfect kind of characteristics to be like a player in their squad. Yeah. But whether he starts... I mean, they won, they've won four on the bounce. They're flying. I love it. I love Betis. I think they've, they've always been so entertaining, even when they were dysfunctional, because mm. it was just end-to-end chaos, and they yeah. would score so many goals and concede so many goals. So they were they were appointment viewing, so a bit the like Newcastle, the Jets of the Newcastle A-League. Jets, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I just I just don't think you play. I'm, I love that they're doing so well. They're not going to put up a title challenge, though, and no one seems to be able to in no. Spain this year against Madrid with Modric sort of def- defying uh, the passage of time, Vinny Jr. on fire. And uh, the folks over at Marker, those uh, mm. notoriously objective journalists at, at Marker, uh, seems to seem to be pushing the line that Vin- Vinicius Jr., or Vinny Jr., as he's going by yeah. now, is the best player in the world. Wow. Big call. I don't think he's even the best player at Madrid. No. I think there's a certain man by the name of Karim Benzema who, or, and Luka Modric. I mean, I just didn't say Luka Modric and I heard a rumble from the West um, from a certain Mr. Jukic. So but, Mr. Um, uh, Juan Ignacio Garcia Ochoa, writing for Marca, in this, this is translated, of course, but there is, uh, it says, after the derby, there are still some who find it hard to recognize his merits. Uh, so don't listen to the haters. But today, <laughs> there is no better player in the world than Vinicius, the Brazilian unbalanced the derby. Mm, Spanglish there, but mm. anyway. With two assists, which is what he was missing. In the season in which he broke out as a star with goals and dribbles, he also gave wonderful assists to his teammates. Two of his passes to Benzema and Asensio broke the duel against Atletico. The first, lifting his head and putting it up to Karim. The second, a measured pass for from underneath, raising his head, which is what he was criticised for. That is a good point. His end product is improving. Yeah. He is becoming more and more composed. Absolutely. The goal that Benzema scored in this derby was absolutely beautiful. It was just mm. Modric makes the interception in midfield. Casemiro takes over, flowing move. Vinicius Jr. gets his head up on the flank, just chips it in delicately, and it's a beautiful side volley from Benzema into the bottom corner. So it was a great goal, uh, but 
I think he's got some way to go, Finney Jr., before he's recognised as the, the best, best in the world. In the world. I think they're going a... very early here. Absolutely. Uh, Josh, private equity in football, La Liga, approving a CVC deal. Tell us a bit about what's going on there and a bit of opposition from uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and the boys from the Basque. Well, yeah. the boys at the club from the Basque. Uh, Athletic, yeah. Athletic Bilbao are, are against it as well. But La Liga have approved a $2.1 billion Euro investment deal with a private equity firm called CVC Capital Partners. Uh, they were voting in a La Liga, La Liga General Assembly on Friday. 37 of Spain's 42 first and second tier clubs voted in favour of the deal with only those three aforementioned teams mm-hmm. um, voting against them from the uh, from the top tier. Yeah. Um, and then one club abstained, I think. Um, so they needed a... Basically a two-thirds majority, so yep. they needed 32. They got 37. This means that Spanish clubs will receive uh, additional funding, obviously, with this massive chunk of money, mm. I think spread over quite a few years. But it also means that CVC Capital Partners get 8.2% of La Liga's TV rights for the next 50 years. Which is insane. 50 years. Insane. Absolutely insane. And as uh, Jean Laporta said, it's like mortgaging the club's rights over the next half century. It's mortgaging the future to pay for the present. Yeah. Uh, so basically the ne- the 400 million uh, euros can now be dispersed to clubs over the next few weeks. Um, the Federation President, Luis Rubiales, uh, has come out publicly against it. But Javier Tebath, uh, mm. the La Liga president, so yeah. obviously they have separate league and, and federation. Yeah. Uh, has backed it despite a lot of criticism from the Federation. Um, It's interesting. This seems to be something they've tried to do to uh, balance the the books after the Super League failed. But the clubs that wanted to join the Super League are largely largely against it. Obviously, they've lost a lot of money due to COVID. And this is a recession in Spanish football at the moment. But I... I think this is a bit of a dangerous deal. Mm. I, to me, it seems a little bit short-sighted. It's a lot of money, and they did get a lot of money from the uh, the US, mm. uh, I think it's the ESPN rights deal, yeah. uh, was hugely profitable as well. So they've cashed in, but I'm not sure about this. I mean, I wonder if COVID wasn't a thing, if that happens. You know, is this a thing as not just as a bounce back, obviously from the Super League stuff? Is this a thing, maybe a COVID sort of recovery I, kind of plan for the to, to save the the it's now like a stimulus to, package? Yeah, isn't it? like a bit of a like taking a loan, but you're basically selling your your next fifty years, selling your soul to the devil for that period of time. It is interesting. Um, I'm surprised that we, I mean, there's been always rumblings about you know sort of different sort of deals being done with leagues around Europe to recuperate the losses of no fans and everything else for the past or for the season and a half or so that, you know, they were had to play with no one. Um, and I'll tell you what, there probably be more leagues around Europe that may follow a similar suit because clubs are still bleeding cash. You know, instead of the other big thing is right now is that the clubs aren't turning a profit because they're not allowing hundred percent capacity yet. And a lot of the smaller clubs are the teams suffering the most? It's not necessarily like Milan or Inter get 60,000 people in the Sun City, but say for a team like, you know, Spezia or Venezia who have the small five, 10,000 seat stadium and they can mainly get about 4,000 in there because of COVID capacity. So you have to wonder is City are going to maybe take a similar route. We know their ties with the golf and that's been 
you know, sort of you've seen the murky waters mm. with Bean and, you know, the rights there with their dealings with Saudi Arabia and potentially selling off more games there to play. We've seen it all. We've heard rumblings of La Liga games being played as well in America with the whole ESPN thing. We've heard the Premier League apparently looking at playing games the 39th overseas. round, famously. I don't think that's yeah. ever going to happen Hell, in the Premier League. Even as recent as last week, there was a report in the Herald Sun about potentially staging a Premier League game. I don't know if it was just poorly worded, but a Premier League game in Melbourne. And it was like, okay, since when? Like... I mean, Since this, this story talking? comes up like every, like clockwork every yeah. three to five years, and it's never, never going to get the support mm. uh, that it requires from the clubs and also crucially from the fans because you know English football fans, match going fans, are pretty puritanical about their competition yeah. as we saw, and it was their opposition to the Super League that largely sunk it. Yeah. Um, Real Madrid and Barcelona still seem to think the Super League is going to happen. Which um, is ridiculous to even uh, think about. Even Juventus still they, think probably to an extent. They still think they they can they can wrangle this uh, and get it out, out from the yeah. fire. But I I do think this is also driven by an inflationary pressure, which is artificial, and that is the money bags, golf clubs. We basically states backing them. Mm. Newcastle now um, will be a massive factor coming yeah, into the new transfer the window. Um, obviously. Qatar and PSG, obviously Abu Dhabi and the City Group. This, this is what is driving all of these clubs to desperation, not just COVID, but the fact that they're trying to compete with astonishing Countries, wage demands yeah. with, with sovereign states backing yeah. clubs. And I don't think selling your soul to a hedge fund is the answer to that, nor do I think a Super League is the answer to mm. that. I think the answer is to ban sovereign states from owning European football clubs. Yeah, and apparently, apparently, um, you know, the Saudis... Or introducing salary caps. Well, I mean, the only example of salary caps in European football right now, well, technically European, but it's in League One. In, like, there's been a lot of conjecture about in In League One about how that now to sort of equalise it because you have a lot of those bigger clubs, Sunderland, now Wigan as well, with their new ownership in League One. How they, there's always been talk like, how can these clubs afford these players? But at the end of the day, they're fitting under a salary cap. It's this, it's a pretty big salary cap. In the day, it's League One, it's not the A League. Yeah. But still, I mean, it does allow for teams like you see Plymouth Argyle rising up. You know, you see other sort of smaller League One, recently promoted League Two teams starting to shoot up the table because it's an equalization method. I don't think that would go down very well in the big leagues, though. I don't Probably. know how that would go down in, say, the Premier League or the Serie A. Uh, I think a, a redistributive luxury tax, um, salary cap plus luxury tax arrangement would be fantastic. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Could you imagine if there was like a sim- it's like a system like the NBA where like you're just getting the, trades? The and, problem is, you know, because football is a global sport, it's harder to control those dynamics. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the players' union would like it. I, I don't think the big clubs would go for it because there's always rent-seeking in places mm. where it doesn't apply. So honestly, this has to come from UEFA. Yeah. Or has to come from FIFA. FIFA. And I don't think FIFA are going to do that. Let's be real. Yeah. I think FIFA's concern right now is to get another World Cup in, which I think is BS. Taking money out of the game is not in FIFA's yes. remit in the interests of uh, if balance. Um, just quickly, uh, let's quickly – I know we didn't mention this off the top, but I just saw this recently, um, just as we're you know, getting, all these, uh, getting our points together. Uh, Joshua Kimmich, um, he's come out and said he regretted not getting vaccinated earlier. I mean, COVID right now in Europe is starting to hit, I believe, a fourth wave. There's been lockdowns in Germany, fans banned from stadiums there. Same in Holland and some other states, uh, lockdowns of unvaccinated people in those countries. 
And I've got to ask the question, with the rise of Omicron, now I know we're not epidemiologists here and we're not, you know, we don't, I mean, the, the political, there's a poor, I'm in, not a scientist. In, in, to paraphrase um, Ange Postacoglio, I'm not an ologist no, of any kind. But in terms of the situation, do you think that some of these European countries, considering how much more COVID there is over there, there needs to be a look at mandatory vaccination for players similar to here? Because I mean, I mean we, we don't, don't have mandatory vaccination for players. We have mandatory vaccination for venues, and that's a different thing. Well, there's in Victoria, it's mandatory for professional athletes. Okay, yeah. All right. But um, I'm saying, like, do you think the AFL it's has not a mandatory wide, though? I mean, you know, there are some players who can play home games, but they can't play away yes, games. But I mean, in some leagues in Australia, in different codes, it is mandatory now. Do you think that? They should look at some sort of situation. In the NFL, they've got a mm. this, and same with the NBA, a system where basically if you're vaccinated, you live a normal life outside of, you know, when you're not part of the team. But when, if you're unvaccinated, you have to live by a specific set of rules, you know, to be fit, you know, mandatory, like a regular testing and everything else. Because we're seeing recently with a lot of teams right now, we're going through deja vu again. A lot, Tottenham has been the big one. Um, outbreaks at clubs right now. And it's a bit concerning because I remember hearing months ago that in some of the Premier League teams, and I think it'd be the same probably at some of the clubs around Europe, that there's large uptakes of players that aren't vaccinated right now. There was a situation Mm. actually at Wigan where um, their striker, Charlie Wyke, he collapsed at training and everyone thought it was because he was vaccinated. All this hocus-pocus conspiracy around, you know, players collapsing because they've been vaccinated. He was unvaccinated and had a completely different sort of, you know, like had a completely different heart-related issue. But we're seeing situations where these outbreaks are happening and we're seeing there's a lot of talk that players are believing conspiracy theories because they're a lot younger and uneducated. They spend a lot of time on on social social media. media, in, In around, you know, when they're at training and everything else. Is it going to get to a point where the Premier League or not even the Premier League, but leagues around Europe, the UEFA as a governing body need to look at some sort of system because these outbreaks among in clubs are going to keep happening regardless of I mean, if players are vaccinated, you can have lower quality. I think, I think this is an ethical and legal question that we're probably not qualified to answer. Uh, but look, I think the, the effects are clear, like, Joshua Kimmich, uh, you mentioned him. He's not going to play until next year mm. because he has a, a, a complication from the virus, a lung problem um, that will rule him out. And, you know, he's having trouble breathing apparently. So, mm. you know, he can't play. And, you know, he hasn't had the vaccination. And maybe if he had, he wouldn't have such serious um, effects. So, mm. um, look, I, obviously I would prefer as an immunocompromised person that everybody around me was vaccinated and... Uh, I'm sure that leagues and clubs would prefer their players took it up as well. I liked the interview Mo Salah did recently with an Egyptian publication where basically he said, um, look, I don't know anything about this. I'm a professional athlete. I'm going to listen to the people who've dedicated their lives to studying this. Mm. Like, it just makes yeah. sense. But if you, can't edu- if you can't convince your players, you can't educate them, you can't bring in people to speak to them and address their concerns, I, I don't know what else you can do to, to keep the whole thing rolling yeah because if if we start getting masses of fixtures being postponed it's already started it's already starting i i I do i do wonder whether that's sustainable and you you see quickly when you threaten somebody somebody's livelihood quickly they're uh typically 
their stance changes. Let's move on quickly before we go, Josh. We've got, we've got to run out of time before we dive too, go too far down the rabbit hole. Mm. Uh, Drew Bellingham, fine, no suspension. I mean, fair enough. 40 yeah. grand, that's enough out of the pocket. <laughs> I, I find it interesting that uh, Rafa Honigstein in The Athletic has welcomed Bellingham's comments, um, not because he thinks it was the right thing to say or because he thinks he shouldn't have been fined, because it's actually... Uh, directing scrutiny on refereeing and appointments in Germany that maybe hadn't yeah. previously happened. And uh, you talk about the match-fixing scandal this guy was involved in. Um, he ended up turning witness for the prosecution. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was basically escaped without a conviction. Um, he didn't actually do anything to influence the game. Because yeah. sometimes when you fix a match... The team that you wanted to win wins anyway, and you didn't have yeah, to intervene it's not, anyway. It's not the Luciano Moji situation no. of selecting different referees, and you know he was given three hundred yeah. euros by someone who was orchestrating this um, and saying, you know, I've got to make sure this team wins today. He accepted the bribe; mm. um, they won anyway, and but then he yeah. stewed on it for quite a while, and then he ended up self-reporting, going to being a whistleblower. Yeah, so it's not quite the same as saying this guy is a match fixer, but the controversy about this is this guy was able to continue refereeing and then uh, rise to the top of German football as their best referee over the next 10 years Mm. because the federation kept it secret. Yeah. So, I mean, in the interest of transparency, uh, I I think that Bellingham's comments are are welcome. Um, Obviously, it was um, publicized. Otherwise, Bellingham wouldn't have necessarily yeah. known about it so he wasn't breaking the story mm-hmm. uh it was publicized by uh by a german newspaper a few years ago uh, but i think it's directed more focus on this and that's probably a good thing given the way that the german fa tried to sweep this under the rug yeah absolutely um but he was always going to get fined uh it was a compelling defense from the club saying he was just stating facts yeah I think we're a bit beyond that. I think it were. I don't think he can go out and say that in the post-match interview about mm. a referee. Um, but he's taken one for the team, and uh, you know, good on him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> quickly before we go, Josh, any fixtures you're looking forward to in the next week or so? Next week, I believe it may be one of our final shows for 2021 as well. So anything you're yeah. looking forward to over the next week or Heading so? Heading into Christmas time, uh, there are obviously breaks for most of uh, these European leagues. Uh, but Serie A's got quite a few games uh, mm. coming up um, before the break. The last game is on the 23rd of December. Milan-Napoli next Monday is going to be oh interesting boy. to see what kind of team Napoli are w- I'm able to put out. I think Manolas was on the bench, so maybe he mm-hmm. can come back into the starting on the bench, try and solidify that defense and, and get them back to somewhere approaching where they were at the start of the season with that electric yeah. form. Um, elsewhere in Europe, I mean... La Liga is already kind of looking over, to be honest. Madrid is surging ahead, but I think Sevilla-Atletico Madrid will be a good game. Sevilla always good to watch. Atletico, I'm interested to see whether Diego Simeone is willing uh, to put Griezmann and Joao Felix in the same starting eleven because they don't mm. seem to be compatible in his plans, no. let's say. And that disappoints me given how much money they spend on Jao Felix and given how, how highly I regard him. They seem to replace each other yeah. a lot of the time and that's disappointing and it's annoying because Atletico on paper improved in the offseason and the product on the field has actually got worse. Yeah, so which I is think a concern. That, that needs to turn around because at a certain point, if you're still playing underdog football 
with a with a team as talented as this squad, yeah. then you're holding the club back. And that's an extraordinary thing to say about Simeone, I know, given yeah. how much he's done for for Atleti. But I'm I'm keen to see him modify his approach slightly. Just a Dude. few concessions to uh <laughs> maybe putting a few more attacking players out in the park yeah. at the same time because you know Griezmann does a lot of defensive running. He's not a liability out there. I think Atletico could be a lot better than uh, what they're showing. So hoping to see that against Sevilla. For me, Josh, the game, obviously, as you mentioned, Milan-Napoli is going to be massive next Monday. That's been earmarked in the fixture for a very long time. It's a shame it's not first, first, second anymore, but it's going to be a cracker nonetheless. If you're a bit of a football hipster, tune in on Sunday night. Fiorentina Sassuolo at 10.30 p.m. next Sunday. That is going to be an absolute belter in the words of a certain uh, Football Victoria commentator. But it is going to be a cracking game if you want to watch high-octane end-to-end football. And if you haven't watched Dushan Vlavic, as we've spoken a lot about him, you want to gauge your own opinions, this is your chance to do it. And there's a lot of other players on that Sassuolo side. If you love those mm-hmm. up-and-coming youngsters, a man by the name of Gianluca Scamacca and Giacomo Raspadori, they're the two to look out for. So if you've got a game that you want to watch... It's at a good time of 10.30. Oh, nice. Okay. There's a lot of uh, Formula One fans who are finishing up for the season. They need something new to watch on a Sunday night. This is your ticket. I'm, I'm telling you now, if you love football and you are a Formula One fan, you want to watch something on Sunday night, which won't have a dubious finish, this is the <laughs> one you want to go and suss. You cannot promise there'll that, be, There'll be no safety laps this time around. It'll be high-octane <laughs> end-to-end football. And, uh, it'll and be you can watch Dushan Vlajevic and see if, whose side you come down on. Are you Team Josh or Team Nick? Yeah. You, uh, me with my nerdy stats or Nick looking at the goals tally and saying... He's pretty yes. good. And uh, if you just love great strikers as well, just watch on the other side of the pitch because a man named Gianluca Scamacca, who is literally just an absolute baller and he has the look of just pure cult figure. I, w- I wouldn't want to run into him in a dark no, alley, let's be and neither would I want to run into his dad either. But that's a story <laughs> for another day. Uh, it's time for us to say goodbye here on the Euro Show on FNR Football Nation Radio. Missed any of it, head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Wherever you get your podcasts, catch up on it. Even go back to Facebook or Twitch. Go watch the live stream if you want to see our face. But we'll be back again for the final episode of 2021 next Monday night from 6 p.m. Nick Tabano, Josh Parrish here in the studio. We'll see you then. Sometimes I feel... I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata. Buona serata. Buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> You don't have to get about it, you? You don't have to get about it, did you? Attaccare! Attaccare!